Hello everyone, especially you. Hey, welcome. This is another episode of the Soapy Rao Show. Uh, of course, why would it be anything else, right? What a stupid introduction, Sandeep. I mean, you never get it right. I don't know, man, what the hell? Unnecessary exuberance, excitement. But I think um, I'm um, a little chirpy, because, not chirpy, but I read this news article. Of course, it has to start with that. Yeah, it does because it's funny uh, where uh, it was more of a tweet. I didn't go into details. As you know, the research on this podcast is extremely um, deep, profound, well, um, what's the word? Uh, fact checked. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have a fact checker. I have a fact checker. No, don't say such things. You'll be cancelled. But um, it's funny. It's along those themes of cancelled. So apparently a couple of woke activists or activists who are woke, whichever order you want to put those two words in, um, well, are a bit, um, are in a bit of a bind, if you want to call it, because they accused a primary school. I don't know where this is. I'm sure you can find the tweet uh, or the article. It's by the BBC. They accused a primary school of hiring a DJ who was going to appear in blackface. Oh, you know that thing. That's worse than genocide, according to the woke people. So he um, was accused, or the school is accused of hiring a person who was going to appear. Um, first of all, this, which school is this primary school that has a DJ? Yeah, my primary school? Yeah, it wasn't called a primary school. It's just like school. That's all we knew it as. School. We went to school. Primary, secondary, tertiary. I have no clue what the adjectives were. But anyway, it was uh, a primary school which had a DJ. Of course, kids nowadays at the age of ripe age of seven are going into like psychedelic trance, EDM. So they got this DJ. And these activists accused this DJ of appearing in blackface. But here's the catch. He's actually black. Ooh, man. That's what happens, I suppose, if you keep pointing fingers. Yeah, they're going to get eaten up or burnt. It's ridiculous, right? I mean, do you almost feel like saying, yeah, we kind of saw this coming? Because it's just—it's such a frantic kind of scenario where you just want to kind of bring down everyone around you. It's kind of like uh, carpet bombing, which a lot of the people, uh, I think, happened in the Kosovo War, like a lot of carpet bombing. And there are... A lot of people who get wrongly uh, caught up in the fire, uh, civilian casualties, they're collateral. Um, and this is not that situation. Of course, it's a very different scenario. But if you go around saying everyone's bad and everyone doesn't suit your agenda or everyone is not woke, you're going to make these mistakes. And not even a mistake, it's a total disaster, right? Like you stupid people are going and accusing someone uh, of being what they are. By saying they're being someone else. It's ridiculous. These people need to be... I don't know. What do you think the punishment should be? Or should there be uh, consequences for making such accusations? Because I feel when you do this, the real issue is kind of uh, distracted. Uh, you, you get distracted from the real issue. Like You're like, oh my God, these people... And 90% of the news is this. Uh, of, of I wouldn't say fake news, but a lot of these people who are so caught up in their own cause and their own thing, they're so self-righteous about, I am going to change the narrative. I am going to be more inclusive. I'm going to be more diverse. And as a result, you kind of make a complete blunder of things. And these are the people walking around using the word privilege. So so it's almost like a, a, a weapon they want to use. And they're like, oh, I have to acknowledge my privilege. Okay. They're like, you have to acknowledge your privilege. I'm like, no, no, I'll do what I need to do. Uh, because I have this thing, which is um, a moral compass, a conscience that has developed through 
the various kinds of things I've seen in my life, the way I've been conditioned, the way I've been brought up by my family, the way I've interacted with people, the way I have this kind of barometer for how things I perceive should be right or wrong. So you can't impose, you can't, what happened there? You can't impose your sense of what you think I should be uh, by using these words, a privilege. Okay, I have privilege, cool, I'm gonna move on. You have a problem with that? Yeah, because it's almost like they're trying to catch you in the act, right? Like, I don't know what act, but they have this sense of what, uh, and I mean, they very sort of specifically, that's not everyone, this is not like a big community of woke people, it's a lot of individuals, and I say an individual who kind of manifests this as the larger trait in their humanness, right? And I get very annoyed with that, because you can be woke, you can be inclusive, you can do what the hell you want to live your life, you have the right to do that. But when you kind of collectively either create a mob that kind of attacks an individual, or as an individual, you have have this larger trait that comes out and you constantly are sort of hanging on to it because that's the only sense of identity that you can hold on to and then kind of bring down people i think that's bs bullshit yeah just in case you didn't get it and this is an example privilege i mean yeah okay man i didn't have a say in it but i'm thankful of course but i'm not going to be acknowledging it everywhere i go say excuse me do you see this privilege i acknowledge it yes i am totally at peace with my and i'm so sorry that you don't have this privilege no there is certain things given to you, certain things taken away. That's the nature of the universe. And if you don't believe in the larger design and the larger plan and you want to say, you know, use words like karma and how your actions determine it, fair enough. Maybe previous lives, past lives, pre present life, Every There's a philosophy for everyone and there's a philosophy for every situation. So whatever you buy into, whatever you believe in, don't blame me for your situation and I'm not going to blame you for my situation. I think... It's not going to serve anyone and it's a total mess. That's why we are where we are. And you shoving your face in my face saying, you better acknowledge your privilege isn't going to help you for sure. And it's probably going to um, annoy the hell out of me. I mean, it will annoy them. Who will be lying, right? And I feel that's the kind of place where we're stuck right now. It's just too much noise. Everyone's being loud. Everyone's being obnoxious. And everyone's sort of just saying, you know what? I'm not going to look within and address the various kind of complexities that go into making me who I am. The strengths, the weaknesses, the flaws, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think once we start there, it just sort of, it's like, a playground in school where there's a DJ pretending to have blackface, <laughs> where it's tea time. Everyone's out screaming in the playground, having a good time. That's how maybe it should be. But imagine the screaming and everyone's screaming at each other because they're not happy on their tea break or their lunch break. We were called, we had a tea break. How cute was that? Tea break. And I just said the word cute as an adult man. That's cute. Crazy. And the, pretty much it's like go back to your classrooms and just think about yeah, maybe it's a bad analogy, but I think it's a good analogy. So I think we just need to like, hey, look within, man, because there's so much there to understand, to sift through, to appreciate, to forgive, to accept, to say, you know what, I was wrong. Once you start from there, I think the noise settles down. And while I'm on that topic, I'm going to introduce my guest on today's episode because she's a fantastic human being. She's a lovely person who agreed to come on this podcast. She's got a TED Talk that has done so well it was i think the first ted talk to go viral back in 2008 if i'm not mistaken um the the talk uh, and the book the book is called my stroke of insight i will put the link in the description uh of course the talk i think is also named i think the same if i'm not mistaken um her, my guest name is dr jill bolty taylor she's a neuroanatomist and a neurologist she has experienced situations or a situation in her life that let me rephrase it. She went through a life-changing experience and fortunately for all of us and for her as well, she was able to document it, she was able to live through it and she was able to have a profound revelation 
um, while living through this stroke, um, it was a, a, a thing that you know triggered this hemorrhage, which had consequences for her. But fortunately, she was able to make a full recovery and come out on the other side stronger, more appreciative of the universe and the divine and she'll tell you in her own words what that did to her her new book is called whole brain living of course link to that in the description as well and overall a lovely conversation with a truly um remarkable human being um i'm really lucky to have her on the podcast and you guys are really lucky that she's agreed to talk to me and i really hope you enjoy the conversation because it is enjoyable in its truest sense uh, of course i'd like to thank you for being who you are and listening to me week in week out on the soapy rao show much appreciated my friend do share this episode if you like it with someone you like or someone you yeah you know, someone you think might benefit from it but just i think in essence enjoy it sit back sit back yeah, I always get this wrong you know it this is the unique nature of the Soapy Rao show but um, a big shout out to Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor all her details you can reach out to her the website is all in the description of this episode and without further ado let's go into the conversation with Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor thank you until next time goodbye God bless take care of yourselves cheers Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, welcome to the Soapy Rao Show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm excited to be with you. I think we're going to have fun today. Yes, we are. And I'm so glad that uh, you're doing well. And uh, for everyone who's listening right now, I think you've got a tremendous story, which started back in 1996, 97. And I think for those of the people who've been living under a rock and who haven't watched your TED Talk, I think uh, that's the first order of business. But I think we're going to cover all of that here. But I'm so glad you're, you've recovered and recovered so well. And you're here today to share your story. And share, And you know what fascinates me is the, the, the lockdown kind of made all of us sort of examine our lives in, in what we're doing and why we're doing. But you seem to have a much longer history with your mind and your body. Of course, your 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 area of interest and your area of expertise is neuroanatomy and neuroscience. But what I found fascinating when I read your book, of course, I read the second one. I haven't read the first one, unfortunately, is the way you were able to sort of witness your brain as an insider and an outsider. So can you just tell me how it was for you after being through so much? How was the pandemic, the lockdown and people sort of this frenzy of panic and uncertainty? How did you approach it and how did you approach uh, helping people around you? Because I'm sure you must have been a sort of a rock and a, a sense of a, a, str a strong pillar for people around you, right? You know, first of all, I'm biologically based. So I am a neuroanatomist. I study the anatomy of the brain, I think in terms of cells. And so... Mm. Uh, when, and I like current events. So I was very tuned in when, uh, the news of, of COVID started coming up. Mm -hmm. So I was paying, I was actually paying attention early and because I'm biologically based, you know, I'm kind of been waiting for a biological phenom to come and hit humanity. I mean, it only makes sense mm, yeah. that one of these viruses would, you know, catch on and really do some destruction. So um, so it didn't come as a surprise because I think biologically, I think what took me as by surprise was how we as humanity managed or did not manage the the crisis situation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just 
even the denial that there was a problem out there. And then we're watching this virus come across the ocean. And it's like, okay, well, I'm a biological. We're in America, we don't wear masks. We have never in my lifetime had to wear a mask. And so, mm. you know, we can watch the news and see because of pollution reasons in other parts of the world, other cultures do wear masks but it's not been the American way. So I thought, okay, well, how's that gonna go? And it went pretty much along the lines of the two halves of the brain. Half mm. of us decided this was a real threat and we're going to protect ourselves using a mask. And the other half are going to say, this isn't real and uh, we're gonna live through it and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I mean, it was just fascinating. So for me, it was, uh, it was curiosity came through. And the more curious I was, my character, one of my left rational thinking brain came online and said, okay, what can I do in order to protect myself? Let's take those steps. Yeah. And so I did. I bought the masks. I bought the sanitizer. I, I bought my little UV light for my, my groceries, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but I actually believed that I could, if I worked really hard, I could protect myself. Uh -huh. um, and so I did what I could do in order to protect myself, to encourage people I love to protect themselves. But then it really became, okay, my castle is my sanctuary. What do I like to do? You know, now we're all locked down. We're all locked in. And fortunately, I have an art space where I can do my stained glass. I did mm. a lot of stained glass. I'm a stone carver. I have a place where I can carve stone. I did a lot of stone carving. Um, I had been working on, on, on gathering material for creating this book. Mm -hmm. I wrote the book last year <laughs> during the second year I podcasted the book, you know, so I showed up a hundred percent in what can I do on this, on the edge of safety in order to feel like I'm covered as best as I can. Right. And then, but I have a real relationship with the cosmic consciousness of the universe. Call that God, call that whatever you want to call that for me, it's love. And I feel really grounded in life or beyond life because I had this amazing experience with this major hemorrhage that gave where I lost my left hemisphere, my relationship with the external world. And all I had was the blissful euphoria of the existence of the present moment. So I went into the pandemic with my whole, my whole brain online, my whole toolbox available, and I used all of it. And I think that's fascinating, right? Because you talk about it in your book, which is uh, Whole Brain Living. And I think uh, even in your previous book, the, My Stroke of Insight. And, you know, the thing is, a lot of people felt that change. Like, I'll give you an example, which is my experience of the, the lockdown literally saving me from myself. Uh, because I'm a stand-up comedian who sort of get got caught up in the entire scheme of just doing shows, doing the repeated sort of thing without understanding uh, why you're doing it after a point, it just becomes sort of like muscle memory. And you kind of started off, I, I started out doing stand-up because I like it, but of course we I, 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 we'll go into the aspects of the brain that sort of have these features which you talk about in the book. But very simply put, when the lockdown happened, I was faced with, okay, you have to look at what you're doing and why you're doing it. And in a very simple way, I was made to realize that why are you doing this for yourself or are you doing this for external validation and when i started realizing what i want to do because i want to do it the entire sort of equation changed so 
with with you, you were sort of put into that situation when you had your the the stroke or the hemorrhage, and but how you know you've you you're, you're a professional scientist and you you look at the brain, and why did this happen in the first place? I mean, was it a sort of an accident? Was it a traumatic brain injury? What what was the reason for the stroke? Because I, I I'm I'm not really sure if you talk about it in this in the new book, but you um, mentioned the experience of going through the stroke. But why did it happen and was it something which you could anticipate as someone who works with the brain? So I had a congenital malformation in okay. the blood vessels of my brain. So I was mm. born with a malformation called an arteriovenous malformation. Usually you have an artery, which is high pressure, comes in and then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you go into a capillary network where all the, the uh, red blood cells line up single file and that's pretty much a no pressure zone. And then mm. at the other end is a vein, which is a negative pressure zone that kind of sucks that up out of that capillary network and out of the extracellular matrix and carries the fluid back to the heart. Yeah. And I had, I had essentially a varicose vein inside of my brain where I had a high pressure artery and a low pressure vein attached to one another without any capillary network in between. So the high pressure artery blew off the low pressure, no pressure vein. And I ended up having all that blood then go into the cell, the extracellular space between the cells in Mm. my left hemisphere. So it was a malformation that I was born with that I didn't know that I had. That's that's really, and you know, I'm fascinated, of course, because I think these are, this is very important to understand. uh, But I think the more fascinating part is your entire journey since and you've really documented, um, I think, it really well. Uh, if um, you know, the book is fantastic. Uh, but I want to understand because you you speak about it, and I think for people who haven't read the book, I think we'll just give a little context of what whole brain living is about and how you break down your experience with how you've made peace with. Um, I think first of all, understanding how the hemispheres of the brain exist, not just in the traditional way, because uh, if you look at certain ways in yoga, if you look at the breathing practice, they have the left hemisphere, which is connected to the right body, it's called the masculine, and the the right hemisphere, which is connected to the left part of the body, which is the feminine, and then you have breathing practices, and you have ways to sort of, uh, during the full moon, certain parts, etc. I I don't know, I'm not an expert in this, but I've I've done a little bit of um, reading and a few classes in this. But it's it's amazing how and and how did you discover that there is more to the brain than um, what what meets the eye? Whether you know some people say the left is thinking, the right is emotional, but you've gone beyond that. And did you stumble upon this through your experience, or was it sort of your experience researching this and your uh, post recovery after this incident? You know, I I knew what scientists were taught. I mean, I I knew that what everybody was taught. And I lived through the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, 70s and the 80s, when um, Dr. Sperry uh, dissected the commissure, the commissure between the two hemispheres. And we ended up with two halves of a, of a brain and each hemisphere had its own personality. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was in I was in my prime at that point. I was at college. I was in my 20s. It was very exciting time to be stimulated by the possibilities of the two hemispheres. And so I knew what everybody had had was talking about. You know, yeah, that's yeah. all I knew. 
Um, and then in neuroanatomy, I learn how the different cells communicate with one another with different chemicals and what quantities of those chemicals and the actual wiring of the brain. Information comes in through the, the nerve, the auditory nerve. It comes in at the brainstem level. Some information passes across, some information synapses there, then they both run up bilaterally and then they divide. So, so it was a mapping, if you will, of of how we process information. So that was my area of expertise was, was uh, uh, how, how are we wired? And that's what I was actually teaching and performing research at Harvard Medical School. I was teaching neuroanatomy and head and neck anatomy for gross anatomy. So that was my thing, you know, but I'm a cellular anatomist, I think in terms of cells. Yeah. And so on the morning of the stroke, uh, which is the first book, which um, uh, it's titled My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. Um, I actually take you moment by moment by moment on the morning of the stroke for what I was experiencing, because even though circuits were going offline, I still was conscious and I still had an awareness and I could still keep, I, I, you know, when your arm goes paralyzed, you're aware, oh my gosh, the cells in this motor cortex of my brain are now swimming in a pool of blood. And so yeah. my arm is paralyzed. Uh, my auditory system had gone offline. Eventually, my my vocalization went offline. But it's circuits. These are cells and circuits. So I got to watch my own brain through the eyes of a neuroanatomist who thinks in these terms, watch the machine essentially go offline, 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 offline. So after four hours, uh, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. I became a complete infant in a woman's body. And then, but I was still alive. You know, I had no relationship with the external world. I had no past. I had no future. I had no perception of self. I didn't know what a mother was, much less who my mother was. I had no information about the external world being processed in that left hemisphere, but I was still alive and I was still conscious in the present moment. And I felt open and expansive and as big as the universe. And I had none of the knowledge of the world, but I had all of the knowledge that 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 is is available to us in the absence of all that noise of the left brain. So mm. so that's so it, it really became experiential. And you're exactly right. We were trained that the right hemisphere is emotion and the left hemisphere is thinking. But that's simply not true. We have emotion in each hemisphere. We have thinking in each hemisphere. And because I had this opportunity to watch the deterioration of the thinking and emotion of my left brain, I became really clear on what was I left with because it took eight years for me to completely recover all of those skills of the left hemisphere in order to function like a normal human being. But I, I never lost the understanding and perception then of what is actually going on in what we call that unconsciousness of our right brain. Yeah, it's what's fascinating is, you know, something like this happens and I, I don't think it's a parallel that I can draw, but it's something which comes closest to me is when I uh, when I was diagnosed with macular degeneration when I was eight, um, literally overnight, my central vision disappeared. And but but I didn't have I mean, of course, I didn't have the, 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 the scientific training, but I don't I don't even have the experiential uh, learning of what happened, because now when I look back, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, this is what happened. There was a sort of a gene 
um, there was a gene mutation. Uh, there were a couple of mutation in, in one of the in one of the genes, which led to this. But I, it wasn't experiential at all. It's just for me. I was a, I was a child, and uh, we'll talk about. I mean, you talk about this very very sort of nicely when it comes to the characters, how you identify what character comes back in what form and how it manifests. But I want to understand how how do you remember any of this? Because it's and yeah and and, and did you do you think that because there's a thinking part to the right hemisphere of your brain that's why you can recollect or because if it's so experiential and in a way divine how do you how do you draw it back to the the normal that we call life and the real world well if you think about experience the just just the phenomenon of of oh my god i'm alive i'm alive i know i'm alive how do i know i'm alive i know i'm alive because i i somehow have a consciousness that infuses organic and i'm not i'm not dead you know i'm (laughs) here at least at least a part of me believes I'm here, right? Yeah. So I have this level of consciousness that is always there. It always exists. Mm-hmm. And and it's not the consciousness of the external world. It's not the awareness or the details of the external world. But yeah. in the absence of the details, it's like uh, in the absence of the details goes into the bigger picture. Well, am, am I a conscious living human being if I have destroyed my the thinking portion or emotional portion of my left brain? Yeah, I'm still here. People have all kinds of, of, of gifts or not, or they're like, like, I don't know how you are with this, but I am terrible at hearing differentiating the sound between a her and a her, right? I mean, these okay. languages. <laughs> that have really subtle sound differences. You have to have the differentiation training at the level of the brain, of the ear, at the level of the brain in order mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, well, when you say it this way, it means that. And when you say it this way, it means this. And to me, it sounds the same. So I don't <laughs> have that yeah. differentiation, but I now have a different differentiation than the average person because I have experienced what's going on in the right hemisphere without the interference of the noise and the consciousness of that left brain and, and on top of the consciousness of my right brain. So so I actually became more open, more full, bigger picture perspective without the analysis of the details. So how do I remember it? Well, how do I remember anything? You know, mm. um, uh, and in fact, it is it is the right hemisphere that remembers as a collective whole. So let's say there's a really important moment that happened in your life. And, and you know, for me, I can tell you exactly where I was when the Twin Towers were hit. I can tell you who was there. I can tell you what smells were in the air. I can tell you about the whole experience of that moment because it was a a whole moment. It wasn't, um, so I'm not thinking about it linearly and trying to remember and and think this happened, then that happened, then this happened, then that happened. No, it was a whole experience. Uh, And that's how the right hemisphere brings in information all simultaneously, it has a, an explosion of the present moment. And then the left hemisphere takes that apart and def- starts defining these little bits of data called details so that we can actually communicate externally with one another using language in order to uh, try to share an experience. So so the two hemispheres simply process information in completely opposite 
separate ways. And then they work together in order for us to have one seamless perception of, of what we are in relationship to ourselves and the world around us. So could you do this uh, exact sort of capturization of the, the moment, whether it's the larger or the finer details, uh, before um, your your episode with, with, with the hemorrhage? Or was no, it something put? What I was given was was really, and I'm going to go back to the word differentiation. You know, when we're born, we're a blob of of cells and a blob of energy, right? Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. are for for nine months in the womb. Uh, our the energy of this blob of organic life has multiplied cells at a rate of 250,000 cells per second. Per second, not per minute. Two hundred fifty thousand per second. Bam, 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 bam. Right. That's crazy. And then boom. After nine months of this gestation, then it's like, okay, now it's like part. The next piece on the program is uh, I'm going to be born into the world. So I'm born into the world. But what's born into the world is a mass of cells and a mass of energy. And some cells have differentiated into uh, skin cells or, or they're going to be hair or they're going to be muscle or they're going to be part of my liver or they're going to be whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, so a certain level of differentiation has happened by the time we're born. But, you know, what do we do then? We're born into the world and we flail. We flail. We're just flailing movement everywhere. And this is information coming into the brain saying, saying, oh, okay, these are, these are all the possibilities of how I can move. And then eventually, oh my gosh, I differentiate that that thing, that massive thing is, is mine. It's attached to me. And it's like, <laughs> oh, and then I can, yeah. and then I can have some kind of a awareness of movement and then I can, I can move it. And then I can differentiate control at a muscular level of my body. So differentiation is the learning adaptation of the brain to something, new possibilities. And what happened for me was when I lost the left hemisphere, I could clearly then differentiate and get to know, well, what is going on in the right hemisphere? What mm-hmm. does it feel like to be there? What is it good at? What is it masterful at? Um, how does it work? What what did the thinking cells do versus what do the limbic emotional cells do? They're very mm. different. It's different tissue. And then as I I had to use that all that I had, which was just my right hemisphere, to rebuild connection to those same groups of cells, the emotional cells of my past and future. It was gone. I had no past. I had no future. I had no experience. I had no feeling from remembering my past past and then my cognitive mind was disconnected so all of my academic language was gone so i had to rebuild the language so the only difference between me and any other human being on the planet because of what happened to me was i have a clear differentiation of what are the functions of these different specific groups of cells that i can now say okay you know, uh, this is no longer doesn't have to be unconscious anymore. We can actually consciously have an awareness of what's going on in those groups of cells. And then from here, we can grow into, okay, well, how do we get the whole brain? How do we capitalize on the strengths of all of these different groups of cells inside of the brain so that we can actually evolve ourselves to the next level of humanity? Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 quite 
remarkable because you mentioned this feeling of expansiveness where you go beyond. But, you know, just to understand, I, I, I don't know, because I think there's this social construct that most of us are trapped in where we have this sense of ego and identity and we kind of live through that perception of the world through the self. And um, you use this, and I think, I think before we move on to the next part of the conversation, I think if you could just break it down in a very simple form into the four parts of the brain, I think for people who haven't read the book, they should anyway, but for this conversation to make sense for them. But but you, I think there's this thing which I've heard about, and you, you talk about it as well, the working self which we use, that, that's the ego which we use to interact with humans and with our activities or with the real world, as many people might call it. Then you have the true self, which is pure and which is sort of divine in its existence, which connects to the larger consciousness. So this almost goes from you being a neuroanatomist, a neuroscientist to the realm of spirituality. And how was that transition for you to say, hey, you know, I've re read about this in the in the form of cells. I know what these cells, how they interact. There's a certain uh, thing where the brain can adapt. There's a new, it's a muscle that, that works. There's blood flow, etc., etc. And then you go into the space of the divine and you go into the space. So maybe you can talk about this, but maybe before that, just to under, uh, maybe you can address it which, in whichever order you prefer, uh, about how the brain is broken up into those, uh, the thinking and the emotional in both hemispheres. But just this transition, maybe if you can talk about that before we get there. So every ability we have is because we have brain cells that perform that function, period. You have to have a brain cell in order to move your finger. You mm -hmm. have to have a brain cell in order to ha experience vision. You have to have a brain cell or a, uh, a liver cell in order to filter in uh, uh, nutrients from from your your what you what you bring into your body. Mm -hmm. So every ability we have. So my ability to have a language or to to have a me a center. I I Joe Bolte Taylor. I'm a real person. Uh, these are my likes and these are my dislikes. This is my education. This is my family. This is my 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 me. The whole yeah. world evolves around me. Well, that's the consciousness of my left hemisphere. I have to have a left hemisphere in order. Order to have language, even the ability to have a name, I have to have the cells in my left hemisphere say to me, uh, my name is Jill. I mean, otherwise, you know, how do you know what your name is? You know what mm. your name is because you have a group of cells telling you what your name is. You go home at night because you know where you live because cells in your brain are telling you where you live. It creates a map inside of your head and then you can follow that home to home. You know people in the world because you have cells telling you who recognizing and telling you who those people are. But if you wipe out that left hemisphere, then you wipe out the skill sets of that left brain, which is mm. evolved around me, the individual. Well, if I don't have me, the individual, what am I? Well, I'm still a life form. I'm still this magnificent mass of 50 trillion molecular geniuses erased a, a group of cells in my brain about the size of a pea that says, oh no, it's all about me, the individual, the mm. ego. And it's like, well, wipe out those cells and you don't have an ego anymore. And, it, and you lose a whole bunch of information. And, um, you know, to a lot of people that feels traumatic. Uh, but for me, that's what happened. And I didn't have any say about it, but I lost Jill Bolte Taylor. She died that day. But in the absence of her, I wasn't dead. I was still alive. I still had some function. I was paralyzed on half of my body, hmm. but I was still conscious. And I, I did, I no longer 
Spirit had the group of cells that defined the boundaries of where I began and where I ended. So I felt like I was an, an energy ball, literally as big as the universe, connected to the atoms and molecules as big as the universe. I have to have that group of cells in my left brain to that define me, the individual, the, the boundaries of my physical body. I have to have that group of cells that says, call me Jill Bolte Taylor. And mm. then I'm also going to file and pile into that file all of my likes and dislikes, et cetera. So the me, the individual is in the left hemisphere, but in the absence of that left hemisphere, as I relate to me in relationship to the external world, the social norm, that's all in that left hemisphere. Get rid of the left hemisphere. And I simply am this magnificent power of, of energy around this organic mass in the present moment, big as the universe, and sharing consciousness with all that is without all those details of the external world, because that's not what those cells are doing. So, so when you think about the differences between the two hemispheres, the right and the left hemispheres, first of all, they share no cell bodies. They communicate with some 300 million axonal fibers so that each one knows what's going on in the other, other hemisphere, mm. but they, they cut, cut those fibers and they're, they're separate. So, okay, okay. okay. So, so, so there are two halves of a whole and wipe out a half. And in the right hemisphere, all you have is the present moment right here, right now, bring your mind to the present moment. You have the ability to focus on your breath. It's a train running in the track of the present moment. So every modality that is going to bring you into the present moment, be that, that uh, uh, meditation or mantra or yoga or any of these techniques that bring you into the present moment, they focus on the breath because the breath is in the present moment moment. We don't breathe in the past. We don't breathe in the future. We breathe now. Bring my mind to the, the breath. I'm automatically here. Okay. If I'm in the present moment, I have to ask myself, how much time do you actually spend in the present moment? We spend so much time thinking about the past and routinizing about the past. We spend so much time in the future. We're, we're all ca caught up in the unknown. How much time are we spending here and now? Now on your side of the planet, maybe a little bit more than we are over here because in the u.s the western way is in the left brain and we're in the past and we're in the future we no, we're inspired by the u.s so we, we we're following very close by <laughs> well i know you know and 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 there's actually a very interesting conversation to be had because your religions are based on the present moment experience mm. and so you're brought up in a culture that and the only reason i know this is i talk to a lot of people so yeah. um but, but in the India culture, you're, you're trained about the awareness of the bigger picture and the relationship to the bigger picture. But it is true that Western, the Western world has skewed even your thinking and your brain processing more into the left hemisphere. And so the ego now has become bigger than it, than, than it, it naturally had based on the construct of Eastern medicine, Eastern wisdoms, Eastern philosophies, Eastern ways of being. So, um, so the Western world truly has taken the, the Indian brain and other cultures and said, okay, we're going to value, we're going to skew it more to me, the individual, me, mine, what I want. And it becomes more of a we, they, than your culture, uh, cultural experience from your history has actually set you up for. 
So I know that there's yeah. an internal conflict because I think of so that. to a certain extent, because the problem is um, I, I don't blame any one culture because I think if people were, didn't have it in them, they wouldn't be sort of tempted. I think everyone has the, the ego is in everyone. And I think the... Um, while there are traditional and ancient practices that sort of help you get past and connect with God, as you said, the power or the consciousness, but I, I think it, it's it's not a um, it, it, it's it's something that every civilization I think has to go through, um, and I think India is going through it as much as the rest of the world with with the, the divide of the pain and them versus us, etc. We, we just sort of seem to follow, and I'm not speaking on behalf of every Indian. I'm just observing what's going on around. Um, but I want to ask you something before we move on. So what you experienced that day when, when your left brain shut off and you lost all your identity as um, Jill Bolte Taylor, as an individual, as an ego, is that what a person with, say, dementia or Alzheimer's goes through? Because we, I, I, I have a um, couple of people in the family who are older and who have Alzheimer's and everyone just seems to feel really bad for them saying that person we knew is gone. But what... So I, I don't know. I mean, this is maybe a very naive question, but what is is it similar? Because do they have any of this um, experience similar to yours? And if you can, if you can sort of talk, talk me through that. So I believe that dementia is a whole brain experience. And okay. but I think that what happened. So for me, I lost I lost the specific groups of cells saying I am Joe Bolte Taylor. These are my likes and dislikes, et cetera. These are my mm. relationships. Right. So in dementia, that unquestionably gets compromised. But there's something else compromised as well. Uh, in the right hemisphere that I didn't okay. have compromised. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, right, right, However, right. Most people, and, and, and if you look, I love this conversation. Um, if, if you have someone who you love who has dementia, the loss is not theirs. The loss is yours because mm. they don't remember you. They're good whether they remember you or not. But we so they are good? Work. What? They are good? They're usually good. Most right. most of the people, when you run into these people, they're not weeping all the time uh, with pain. They're not. Uh, they're simply not aware of the absence of being. Now, the process of deterioration is absolutely devastating for everybody. No yeah. question about it. The brain that has lost its attachment to those details has been devastated. No question about it. Mm. However, if I lose, I mean, when I lost my left hemisphere and I lost all those details, you know, Jill fell off the Harvard ladder. I was climbing this golden ladder mm. to, uh, to a, a profession that was at Harvard Medical School. I mean, it was great. And then, boom, in the course of four hours, I was now... Uh, an infant in a woman's body and everybody else is saying, oh my God, that's terrible. But my perspective of self was I was perfectly fine. You know, mm. I had, and I was no longer, I, that was no longer, the left brain was no longer how I was making judgment on the value of me as an individual. I had value simply because I was alive and I would be sitting on my couch drooling and grinning. And my mother would say, child, how can you be so happy? And it was <laughs> Like, you know, uh, because I wasn't caught up in me and all yeah. the ego stuff. But how do you um, communicate with, because your mom plays a big role in your recovery and you speak about her in the book and how she recognized even that part of you, which um, you didn't recognize to a certain, till a certain point. But 
how did you express that? Because it's immediate for people to say, oh, she's not well and do something severe like medicate or whatever it may be. And so how did you tell your, especially the people around you who cared for you that you were safe and you're not all gone and you're still there. You might not have that ego state or the the social recognition of uh, Dr. Jill Taylor, but you are there and you are still a being in some shape or form. They, you know, I, I simply was me. It's like, how do you know if a puppy is happy or not happy? Right. Mm, you pay attention okay. to the puppy, right? right you don't yeah. ask it, right? You, you don't go poking and prodding. You, you simply look at a puppy and say, that's a sad puppy, mm, right? Mm, or mm, that's mm. a happy puppy, right? I was a puppy. Right. And right. my mother, my mother cared enough to actually look at the puppy and say, this puppy is wounded. How do I help this puppy recover? First of all, regain strength because I was all but dead. Um, and, and how, you know, we take it one step at a time, but she did it without a negative judgment. She did it with love. That's and amazing. if I, yeah. if the puppy was tired and needed to sleep, well, she didn't poke me and make me eat or make me do something. She let me sleep. You know, the mm. puppy's tired, the puppy, the brain of the puppy needs to need sleep because it's processing. First of all, it's had gone, had this terrible trauma. It's got this major hemorrhage in the left hemisphere. The whole brain has just needs sleep. And I'm clearly curled up in a fetal ball needing to go to sleep. So she let me sleep. Right. And then when I awoke, then she would she would feed me. She would get food into me. She would take me to the bathroom, let me take care of my my needs, and then and then I'd be wiped out again. And then and then eventually I gained a little bit of strength. And then mm. when I was strong enough, then she she was she was innately available to teach me. Um, but uh, and so that's what she did. She just looked at the puppy and said, "What does the puppy need?" No, that's amazing. Like the way you uh, talk about your relationship with your mother in the book is um, quite, quite, I mean, it's, it's very touching, of course, but just recognizing each other's strengths. And I think that's, that's some, I think it's a place where now we can, maybe if you, if you're okay, just sort of in a, in, in a, in a nutshell, I know it's hard to talk about in a nutshell, but just for people who haven't read the book and um, the, 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 uh, to understand, okay, so we have the brain, and I'm going to put it across as the layperson asking you this question. And I am the layperson, but okay, the brain, uh, you've broken it down into two hemispheres, as you mentioned earlier. It's the right side of the brain, which is the feminine, and the left side, which is the masculine. And uh, now you've said that there are beyond just the thinking and the emotional in each hemisphere. Each part has both emotional and thinking. So you give it characters, character one, two, three, and four, um, and you break it down into what these characters do. Um, so how is, okay, maybe can you tell people just what these characters are and how you arrived at these um, characters? Okay, so, um, and I'm not going to start linearly. So the difference between, there are four characters inside of our brain. We have two emotional groups of cells, one in each hemisphere. We have two thinking groups of cells, one in each hemisphere. So what's the difference between the two hemispheres? These are the two biggest differences. The right hemisphere, it's right here, right now, present moment. Easy to remember. Right hemisphere, right here, right now, present moment. Mm -hmm. There's no past and there's no future. And the second big thing is that right here, right now, I'm as big as the universe. This is not about Jill Bolte-Taylor, the individual. I have to have cells in the left brain for that. So mm. the right hemisphere, it's right here, right now. And I'm a part of a collective whole. I'm part of humanity. I'm a living being that looks like you. 
Okay, mm. left hemisphere has a past and a future. And because the left hemisphere has memories from my past and potential uh, uh, information about the unknown, then I am linearity across time. So mm. I think methodically or linearly, a part of that is language. And a part of language is me, the individual. I am an individual. So I have cells in that hemisphere that define where do I begin and end. It has language cells that define my name, Jill Bolte-Taylor. And then all the details of me in relationship to Jill Bolte Taylor. So me, the ego is in the left hemisphere across time. So we have these two hemispheres. Then the emotion of my past is all my pain from my past, my thinking left brain, which I call character one. So now I'll do the four characters. Mm -hmm. Character one is is about me, the individual, and my past, and my future, and my relationship to the external world. So character one is the rational thinking part of my brain. It's a group of cells in that left hemisphere. It defines me. Where do I begin? Where do I end? It has a past. It has a future. It has language. And it creates order in the external world so that I can uh, have some semblance of order in my life as an individual. So mm -hmm. the character one, it likes to create order. How does it do that? It analyzes information. It says, this is different from that. So we're gonna call this, this, we're gonna call that, that, and we're gonna organize it. We're gonna categorize it. We're going to um, define the social norm. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? That's that character one. It gets punctual. It knows how to control time. It controls people, places, and things. And it got us here today on this date at this time, even though we're on opposite opposite sides of the planet, our character ones came online and said, okay, we're going to create order and we're going to connect in yeah. at this time. All right. So that's character one, the yeah. rational thinking part of our brain. I call mine Helen. It's short for hell on wheels. She gets it done. Yeah. Have you named yeah. your character one? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still in, um, you know, it, 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 uh, the name I've given right now, Sandeep, because uh, he's the guy that, um, it's it's strange, you know. I I, I was thinking of um, I, I think you and you also take people through uh, the naming process, like what 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 you can use as leads to kind of give a name to the character. Yeah. But uh, mainly the thing is because I think this 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 guy um, is even though it's my real name is this guy who sort of was on the back burner, uh, put put through the paces and wants to sort of be a little more cautious and a little more careful, be a little bit more. Um, I think a good boy who'd get stuff done and um, kind of is more orderly, but at the same time um, has to sort of be a little bit more pleasing to get validation and uh, all these things. So I'm, I'm, I, for now, it's uh, the character one, which is the functional member of society, which is the thing is, um, which, which I use to sort of represent um, myself in, in the real world is uh, called Sandeep. But... Um, the next character is the, the the troublemaker because I've lived with him <laughs> for many years. Character two, so I think that's that's a, yeah. So that's that. Character two is the emotion of that left hemisphere. It is. It has a past. It's all the pain from the past, mm. and it's all the fears of the future. Mm. 
So character two is not existing in the present moment, but it's the emotion. And so what character two does is it brings information in from the present moment and it looks at it. So let's say a dog is approaching me and I look at the dog and my character two looks at that dog and says, oh my God, that dog is not safe. Because 50 years ago, when I was learning how to ride a bicycle, a dog that looked just like that was trying to bite me. And so it's like, push it away and say no. So it's not just the pain of the past. It's the awareness of what's happening in the present moment that I need to push away from as a danger or a threat based Mm. on a lifetime of experience. Right. So and you talk about this, that it's not entirely bad, because, of course, if there's a dog biting you every day and you're not learning from it, it's not it's not healthy. Right. You got to learn. <laughs> you got to learn. Yeah. But the filter sometimes is more real than the reality. And that's a problem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just because I dated a guy who looked like you when I was 20 doesn't mean a guy like you, if I date you now, that all the alarms have to go off because you're not that guy. But isn't it nice that there's a part of my brain that is saying, walk slowly, go slowly, learn, learn from our experience. Do you you think with everything going on right now, and I'm I'm going to deviate a little bit because we're going to, the next two parts are something which I'm really, really... um, I'm really actually amazed by the next two parts of the brain. But just before that, do you feel, and you mentioned this briefly, that that that, that, that is the case. That, like everything from yesterday, I know it's it's maybe not at all in this space, but like from the, the celebrity worship, the celebrity gossip of, of Hollywood and the Oscars, the pain, the war. Do you think there's an entire obsession with the left side of the brain which's taken over the narrative of society? Is, do, do you have... Um, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why that's why when I say, you know, there are fundamental differences between the Eastern culture and the Western culture Hmm. is the Western culture is doing exactly what you're talking about. And the societal norm becomes what we worship as opposed to the Eastern traditions that say, I'm good no matter what's going on outside of me where the left brain comes in and says, well, the, the external, excuse me, the external world has to look just like this in order for me to be good in it. So these are two completely different perceptions of how do we function and what are we validating and which group of values are we actually living? Are we living the value structure of the right brain, which is saying we are good no matter what's going on outside of us or the value structure of in order for me to be good, my house has to have be this big, my Mm -hmm. bank account has to look this size, my friends have to be these beautiful people and they all have to have these things too. So the values of me, the individual, the left brain is very different from the values of me as a part of the collective whole. So, right. so that's, that's one of those fundamental differences. Yeah, no, because the reason I brought this up at this point is because I think it's an important thing that I was trying to sort of wrap my head around is, of course, it's it's quite a straight, I wouldn't say simple, but it's quite, it's really well laid out, right? You have, um, and, and honestly speaking, you can identify if you have a little time to yourself and just think about it, you can identify certain traits that and you lay it out really well. So um, just to identify your characters in your brain. But I'm trying to sort of juxtapose that or rather overlay that with what's going on in society today. I mean, of course, with the war, with 
the biggest pandemic after covid being mental health and the issue of of course from anxiety depression to to self harm to self worth to issues which and and i think it's the biggest industry i think uh, when when people are people's peace of mind is a commodity um i think this this is a point where you i think what you are doing is so helpful from addiction to to suicide to self harm so maybe at this point if we talk about why the right brain or the right hemisphere or the the emotional part because you use this very important thing saying we 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 people we have we people who feel who happen to think as opposed to people who think who happen to feel um so just at this point saying okay you have this ego and you have this 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 sort of system that gives you a warning saying this happened to you in the past uh so be aware of what might happen but we've taken that to going this is going to happen again and again and again and so we're constantly in a sense and state of threat but why is it that it's so difficult uh with all the advancements that people aren't able to even acknowledge the fact that there is this thing within their brain and they go straight into this way of thinking and how can someone who doesn't know uh okay might not be a person who practices mindfulness or practices meditation how do they recognize that there is this because i'm i'm coming from a person who was in this place and not being able to think beyond this going my god my 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 life is just this it's this repeated flight or fight this anxiety this sort of sense of threat and this sense of oh my god my life is going to come to an end if i don't do this if i sit in a car it's going every every scenario has a bad ending so how would someone use the characters right now to sort of look at maybe the right right hemisphere and, and you clearly say none of these characters are bad it's how you manage them and you talk about how to do it in the book um just for someone listening right now who senses a sense of lack of hopelessness uh, how did they uh, a sense of hopelessness how did they kind of perceive themselves so let's shift into the consciousness of the right brain yeah because the right brain it's right here right now and the emotional tissue is experiential so character number character number 3 is this part of us that is simply experiential what does it feel like what's the temperature of the air where you are how much humidity is in the air what does it feel like to have the glasses or the earphones on you mm-hmm. um uh you know what 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 is what is the experience of being alive can you breathe comfortably can you sit comfortably is there pain in your body at, in this moment in at any time and mm-hmm. then it's this impetus toward so 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 there's this this impetus toward action i want to do something i'm curious and i'm curious about different is not similarities i focus on well i'm focused on on the similarities but the differentiation inside of those similarities so you're just like me in that you have two eyes you have a nose you have a mouth uh you you know you got limbs you're you're much like me but you're different about me and i'm curious i move toward you because you are different from me and because you're different from me i can learn from you and i can grow in relationship with you and yeah. i can i can share with you and and i can actually grow as a human being where the left hemisphere character 2 looks at you and it and says that's different that doesn't feel safe because that's different from me so you have black hair i have blonde hair you're a man i'm a woman uh we have different religious beliefs probably we have different we're different we have different societal cultural norms yeah. and so so you're scary i push you away mm. in the left hemisphere emotion character 
two, but in the right hemisphere, character three, we're right here right now. And I find you interesting. And so I move toward you with curiosity. And then it's like, it's like um, in that curiosity, the left brain is defining the social norm of right and wrong and good and bad, but the right hemisphere doesn't have that social norm. The right hemisphere just has the right here, right now. The curiosity, right. Yeah, so so it's like in curiosity, in possibility. So we can we can brainstorm right now and come up with a great new idea and become entrepreneurs mm. and invent something new because we're here in the present moment. We're not saying, oh, they tried that in the past and blah 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 yeah. blah, and that's not right. And mom's not going to like that. And oh Lord, you know, and all of that. So the right here, right now experience is one of the present moment. And as an emotional, one thing you said that that is a quote from me is we are feeling creatures who think we are feeling creatures who think because biologically the emotional tissue came in online on top of the reptilian brain. So the Mm. difference between a reptile and a mammal is that emotional tissue in each hemisphere, fight or flight in each hemisphere. And that fight or flight in the left hemisphere about fight or flight, protect me, the individual is character two tissue. And in in the right hemisphere, the fight or flight is right here, right now, Mm -hmm. character three tissue. So character three is curious and innovative and interesting and new possibilities. And you're a comic for gosh sake, you have to take information that is traditionally thought about and look at it in a skewed and interesting way that is humorous. And that's what that's how comedy comes in is the ability to look at something through a different lens that allows the traditional mind to think that was actually witty. That was actually all get slapped while doing it. <laughs> exactly, but that's that's humor, right? That's the right humor. hemisphere yeah. has humor, and then character four is that thinking tissue of that right hemisphere, right here, right now, connected to all that is. It's the consciousness in every cell of my body. And so I exist in a state of gratitude and awe simply because I exist at all. And it it doesn't matter all those details of the external world. It doesn't matter who is there. What matters is that I am here and oh my God, I'm alive. And because I'm alive, the world is a better place simply because I'm I'm alive, not because these are the things I do for society. I show up at the light of my life I shine that as bright as I can and other people then feel better in the presence of that light because it allows them to shine that light as well. So the difference between the, the, here's the threat, here's Putin, here's a war, here's a virus. Oh my God, left hemisphere. I, me, the individual, I could die. Well, yeah, I could. And at some point I will because that, but that's a manufactured by a collection of cells in that hemisphere. When I really know who I am, when I exist as the consciousness of my character four, and I know, oh my gosh, I'm alive. Wow, what a wonder I exist at all. And then one day I won't exist at all, but I will have, would have lived. And so for me, that consciousness then dissolves out of the, the cellular structure, but that's the consciousness that created me. And so I continue to exist 
in the formation of some part of my character four. So character four has no fear of life or death. It just exists like, oh my God, right now I do exist as these 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses and lay on top of that consciousness, that consciousness of action of the character three with curiosity and movement into the world. And then add to that a left hemisphere that defines me an individual, gives me a past, gives me a future. And then on top of that, an experience with the external as a social norm. And now I have all four consciousnesses of the four different parts of my brain. And when I truly know I'm as big as the universe and I am ultimately alive and it's a blessing to be live and then boom, just like that, I won't be alive anymore. I'm good with that because I know that part of myself is real. You know, it's so fascinating that uh, you mentioned this whole thing that we are living in fear of the unknown fear of something, right? It could be a person of a different race, a person of a different gender, a person of a different geography. And the only thing that we are assured of in this life is death. Um, but most of us in the, in, the, in the pursuit of being afraid of death end up doing the most horrific things being alive. Um, whether it's the things we say, the things we do. Um, so you you had this experience where you said you lost everything that a human values or is taught to value, which is a sense of attachment, a sense of ego, and yet you were alive. So coming from you, what what is that experience? Because people are, and everyone, I think that's something which you can ask anyone and they'd be like, yeah, I'm scared of dying. But what was that feeling for you? I mean, I don't know if you, you can say I came from the other side but sorry if, it, if it's inappropriate but I just want to understand because it's such a fascinating thing and you speak about this power of operating your brain from the fourth character and for the fourth people who don't know the fourth characters the sense of the larger consciousness that we're all connected and you live there and you operate and you function after the your incident in back in uh, back in 1996 but I think just just to you know I, I don't know if you can simplify the concept but it just sounds so remarkable and I want to sort of understand what it feels like because I think we're all trying to get that get there someday well, okay so 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 picture yourself as these four different levels of consciousness the uh -huh. consciousness of your character four it's always there you are as big as the universe you are as big as the universe your energy energy doesn't stop and end at your skin you are energy and you're not just the energy of a tiny little microbial cell that microbial cell that turned that was you was half of the, the DNA from your mom egg cell, half of the DNA from dad's sperm cell. And then that cell multiplied, 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 literally at a rate of 250,000 new cells per second over the course of a nine month gestation. You didn't just come in with the consciousness of that tiny little microbe, but that microbe had all the molecular genius that it needed to metamorphosize itself into those 50 trillion cells that would become you at, by the time you're born. Okay, so wow. I mean, if that, if, you, if yeah. you can't just sit back and go, okay, wow. So what did I know when I was born? Yeah. Well, I knew something. 
right? I knew energy. I knew I knew I was atoms and molecules. I was particles. I was big as a universe. I didn't have that group of cells in my left brain that said, oh, no, this is me. Just just here. This is me. No, you don't. You were born with so much more than that. So yeah. think about what's in that character one. The character one is language. OK, get rid of language. Well, if you get rid of language, let's say let's say uh, uh, you speak an Indian dialect and uh, we drop you into China yeah. and you don't speak any Chinese. Well, can you still communicate? Well, at a certain level, fundamentally, you kind of can, but overall, the language is gone. So you're not philosophizing anymore about Putin or thinking about the threats of the future. You're right here right now going, oh my God, I'm thirsty and I need to communicate. (laughs) I need water, right? So we find a way in the absence of language. And so that left brain gets kind of shut down and we shift into the emergency situation of the present moment. Okay, now I'm here. Now I'm on survival. Well, how do I do? And then let's say you're taken in by a nurturing family and you're being nurtured and loved and you're feeling that these people are caring. These people are concerned about you. They're loving you. They're supporting you. They're giving you what you need. They're letting you sleep. They're feeding you food. They're giving you uh, nutrition. So imagine what it would be like to get out of you the individual into here i am in the present moment and all those details about who i used to be in my other life don't matter anymore because that's gone and what i have is right here and in the here and now there's a certain level of peacefulness as we get rid of our jobs and the need to satisfy that social norm and oh my god what a relief that is you know and and my relationships and oh my gosh you know as wonderful as they are they're very stressful. Relationships are very stressful. They're this pull and push relationship and power struggle. So let's say those are all gone. And in the absence of all that, it's kind of a peaceful, blissful euphoria in the present moment. It's like, oh my God, I'm alive. And I'm, I'm grateful that I'm alive. And in that sense of gratitude, all I have is this, this awareness of love and, and gratitude and appreciation. And then boom, if, if I lose that life, then wow, I lived, I lived, boom, I'm gone. What am I now? I don't know. I didn't die that day. Pretty close, but not quite. So for me, the absence of that left hemisphere ego and everything that had to do with Jill Bolte-Taylor was blissful euphoria. But why did I work then so hard? It took eight years for me to use my right brain skills in order to rebuild the skills of the left brain. And what I realized was I was actually rebuilding these certain characters. And the character of the emotional tissue was was pain and caution and awareness and alarm and alarm, alert, alert. And I have a past and I have a future. Okay, I can learn and grow again emotionally. And then eventually I, the individual, came back online as me, Joe Bolte-Taylor. And then I had to rebuild a world in the external world. And that was character one tissue. So I, I lost character one and character two. I gained a clear awareness for eight years on what character three and character four were. And then I used those skills to rebuild the skills, the cells, the connections between the cells in order to be able to regain abilities that then ended up with personalities. And I thought, whoa, that's interesting. And character one came back online and said, wow, I'm back. It's been eight (laughs) years and I want to be the boss again. And 
the rest of us are in here going, that wasn't what we were planning on doing. We <laughs> like the blissful euphoria of gratitude and grace and allowing things to evolve very differently than that linearity of, okay, I have to make this work like this. And then it's like, well, let's ha let, how can we get all four of them to communicate with one another so I can live as a whole brain? And that's where the technique of the brain, B-R-A-I-N as yeah. an acronym, brain huddle comes in, in order to be able to get all four of the characters to intercommunicate with one another. So everybody gets a, uh, an opportunity to voice their wants and uh, at the mic. And then we, as a collective whole inside of my head, make the decision of how are we going to be next. And as long as that character four is online, I'm going to be bringing my best self into every decision. I'm good with that. Yeah. Now, I think it's a remarkable concept because I think some people probably listening right now are like, wait, you mean that we have to have something as drastic as a stroke or a hemorrhage to explore our consciousness? But what this uh, thing does, which is the breath recognition, appreciation, inquiry and navigation, that's the thing you just mentioned is brain. It gives you a way to sort of almost break your mind or your brain, sorry, into these four people and say, OK, who am I going to use? When am I going to use them? For what situation? And these four people are on my team and they're going to look out for me and me being a part of the larger four. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really cool. I was thinking through the entire thing and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it today. And it, and it, it actually has worked. And it's quite a cool thing for people who, because sometimes in this entire journey of how do you silence the noise, it gets a bit overwhelming. And I think that's a really, really nice way you've done what you've done to help people who might not have had a chance to even think about their life in this particular way. So yeah. what is what is your plan with this? I mean, you, you clearly in the book mentioned about addiction and people in the prison system, but what what more can people take out of this than they already, there's a tremendous amount of stuff they can take away from the book and right. from your story. But what can the future look like if we adapt and adopt certain um you know, attributes of what you've spoken about in the book, or maybe just all of it? So the power of this material, in my opinion, boils down to the brain huddle that we just talked about, mm -hmm. because we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world, period. I have that power. You can come in and, and you can be yelling and screaming at me and you can be unhappy and you can be aggressive. And I can look at you now as all four of my characters and I can say, oh my gosh, he's in his character too. He's in his pain. And then what do I do? I can jump right into my character too and we can tip for tat and we can fight with one another and, and aggression and aggression is never going to have a resolution. Yeah, it's called social or, media. Or, <laughs> yeah. Right. Or yeah. or I can step into my character four and say, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm so sorry that you're feeling the way that you're feeling. Um, and I can hold the space for you and I can let you do your venting and do you need to vent? And I can or I can step in as my character one and say, is there something I can do to fix it? Because that's what character ones do. They step in, they step in and fix it. Character two step in and, and they kind of fuel the aggression. Character three is going to come in and and it's going to bring comedy 
curiosity. It's going to bring wit. It's going to bring curiosity. And, and, and it's like, okay, you know, do you need, do you need a hug? Do you need, what, what can I do? How can I connect with you and, and help you realize you're not alone? And, and then maybe you'll come out into your own right brain. Um, but when I honor your five, four characters, when my four characters honor the four characters in you, then the eight of us are in relationship with one another and we're doing it consciously. And from the moment we think a thought, it stimulates an emotional response. We run a physiological response to what we're thinking and what we're feeling. From the beginning of that thought to the time that physiology is completely flushed through me and out of me takes less than 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. I can hold the space for another human being for 90 seconds, but yeah. then you need to stop rethinking the thought that re-stimulates the emotional circuit, making you more and more angry for, you know, hours, days, years years decades yeah it's terrifying because the thing is as you mentioned it's terrifying yet there's um sort of light at the end of the tunnel because when we look at as you said india supposedly we have had a past where people were able to sort of look beyond themselves and see a sense of community and a sense of god which has kept us you know out of revolution or kept us uh, for the most part not sort of going at each other's heads but now more and more with this being thrown at us this way of thinking it's the ego where it's greed it's pursuit of material attachment it's scary honestly speaking i don't know if you've traveled here but like literally it can be traffic i wouldn't say smoothly flowing but traffic flowing and then next thing you know it's a massive fight and there's aggression so this idea that you know where it's not just living in isolation where you're you might be, you know, amazing in the sense that you can meditate for an hour, but it's how do you coexist with others, right? Because you'd be able to meditate, but if someone comes in um, with with their yeah. character, which is sort of inflammatory and one's sort of reaction and is hurting, it's it's so, and, and that's that's exactly why I, I sort of asked. It's, it's so beautiful to understand. It's almost like a guidebook how to live. And you've also really well uh, sort of charted these questions down where people can sort of, identify their characters so i just want to say thank you so much for um i it's been an amazing journey to to, to listen to uh but i'm sure it hasn't been easy so i really appreciate what you've done for yourself you. and um also i think it takes a lot to share that with people after because i mean honestly many of us including me have been like you know what i'm tired i just want to live my life but it's beautiful hearing the idea of being in that larger consciousness and the bliss and the divine sort of uh, feeling so I'm glad you are in the space and I'm really glad that you are doing what you're doing and uh, if you could just tell people who are listening right now where they could find both your books and of course that really really big TED talk which I, I'm not I'm pretty sure most people have heard it but uh, if you could just drop the names of the books and where they could find them that would be really good yeah. and yeah yeah um, you can find anything about me at drjilltaylor.com and uh, the first book was uh, called My Stroke of Insight uh, and, and the title of the TED Talk is called My Stroke of Insight. And it was the first TED Talk that ever went viral. And wow. okay. uh, so Ted and I became simultaneously famous. Mm -hmm. um, and it was particularly, uh, um, it was of particular value in, in the Eastern cultures because it, here was a brain scientist talking about uh, blissful euphoria and in the absence of my left brain actually finding nirvana. Mm. So, you know, I think all of us, we're all on this journey to really 
really how do we live a whole brain life? How do we capitalize on the best of each of our four characters? And so the second book is titled uh, Whole Brain Living. And the subtitle is The Anatomy of Choice and the Four Characters that Drive Our Life. So Whole Brain Living, Dr. Jill Taylor. Uh, my name, middle name is Bolte, B-O-L-T-E. So if you look up Jill Bolte Taylor, you'll find me on the internet. I'm just- I'm pretty sure we will. And I'll put all the details in the description. And Thank no, you. it's it's remarkable. I'm, I'm so glad that you could join me on this podcast. And it means a lot that you could share your story and um, everything that you are doing and continue to do to help people. And uh, it's fantastic to hear, hear from you today. Thank you. It's been a joy. And, you know, I appreciate I always say, uh, you know, I, I love doing stand up, uh, but I do uh, neuro humor. Uh, because <laughs> nervous system, you know, there's nothing funnier than what we are. And so you, you captivate that, uh, and captivate others with that. So, uh, so thank you. I, I knew today would be interesting. I knew we'd go interesting places, uh, and I'm grateful. So you take good care of yourself as well. And you, Dr. Jill, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And, uh, till next time. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.